That's really interesting, uh, Motti. I think when I've um, obviously you, you'll be able to remember um, Renners, um, and uh, I might be uh, jumping ahead, but um, you know, in the season before, the, and I think the majority of people would agree with me here that the club was broken. You know, the pro had kind of dismantled everything, um, and it wasn't a wasn't a great place, but David always said you had a massive impact on the club and you were the perfect pro at the right time. Um, so I think your kind of contribution to the to the club to get it where it is today is um, immeasurable. Actually, I think too. Oh, that's yeah, nice. that's good. Yeah, thank you. It's all right. I mean, I like I I I always just think that um yeah I think that back in the day most Australians that went over there there's um there's a there's a kinship with, you know, English, you know, most of us come from English stock or Irish stock, whatever it is, but there's a gravitation back to the UK. And for us, it's um, it's something we don't take for granted. Like, a, you know, even walking around here in Cardiff now, it's cold weather and we get to, you know, put, you know, the wellies on and jackets on and stuff like that. Like for, for us, it's a it's a novelty. And um, we, we, we thrive on the fact that you guys love having us over here. And um, there's a real brotherhood that comes to that. And, you know, league cricket is something that's really dear to my heart and dear to a lot of Australians' hearts back in the day where we just come over and we, you know, you feel like you're hanging out with people that have the same interests. Um, they're working maybe full-time, you're not. You, you might be playing golf during the week or you know, catching up with people travelling, but um, literally, like, you turn up on a Saturday and, you know, 1 o'clock start, whatever it is, one fifteen, and you're playing with people that just love playing the game and you, you can't put a price on that it's just an amazing um i suppose privilege to be in a position where you come from the other side of the world you're getting your airfare paid for you're staying in some nice accommodation and you're you're playing with people are out there playing for the love of the game and um yeah it's something we we regard as very special Uh, you did that you did that moxie and you could um you could see that you know we are we were all trying our nuts off and we would do everything we could and you never you know there were never any judgment from you and I, I, I hadn't really considered that Joe from the previous year of how difficult that must have been you know we had to take Matt off the Leeds and Liverpool Canal three times the previous year and take him off bridges <laughs> and everything else and then Motti comes along and brings it all back for us I think it's worth yeah. at this point go on Matt go on so just as I completely forgot about that Joe that's an absolute fantastic point and I'll I can never forget the the time. Obviously, we knew Motte. We'd I think we've been out. I think we've been to a cricket game with Flags at, at Old Trafford and you and Nick Westwell from Church. So we knew this like very similar to things like say a cheeky Australian, good fun, like to be a great lad, play cricket hard. I remember going up to David Wren's house when the opportunity was there to that you were available. I don't know how that came about and whatever it was. And David just said we've just got he's just the right character. To put this to turn this club around because it like Joe said it was broken and he did everything he could. I don't know how hard it was or whatever, but he he was adamant that you would be that person for that year, whatever length of time, to turn that round and it and it did and it and it was it made everybody smile again. We did have a great season. I think we were fourth to bottom, but and I think the year before we came second with Cora, but it was or third, but it was just the whole turnaround of how the club felt and the atmosphere and the people smiling again was was, was absolutely massive. That's it. Thanks, it was uh, it was it was outstanding. Go on, Gav. But it were though because I mean I'm not, I'm not you know I'm not uh, you know pissing up your back, Marty. But you knew everyone's name. Do you know what I mean? Even like <laughs> those kids, those kids yeah. in the second team, you knew his name. Do you know what I mean? Whereas <laughs> that galoot year before just used to call you, you and refer to you as you and oi and stuff like that. Whereas we're 17, 18, and twos getting hammered every week, coming back to a club, and you go like you know. All right, Johnny, all right, Charlie, you know, well, Charlie related to 15, but all right, Dooch, all right, Gav, you know, 
little things like that when you're when you're younger, you know, it, it's just great, you know. And like no, we'd probably take it for granted, but we'd have like like we're all saying there, we'd have year before it, we're in that there, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, so it did, it made the world, it's a great point, Joe. Well well done. Well done, Joe Martin. Hundred episodes, you've come up with a good question or a good point. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> if we uh if we just go through very quickly, just go through the Lancashire League career, Motti, because I'm really desperate to get on to your coaching, how that developed as you played and going towards Glamorgan and then the steps you've had, you know, because I'm quite sure that a few of us have got a few questions of how you, you've got to where you've got so quickly and, and, and done so fantastically well. But it's worth mentioning, you know, your facts and figures at church, you know, 1,097 runs at 57, for us averaging 43.6, you know, and a shit summer, really, really poor. And then Rontstall, I mean, I know it's a postage stamp and, and you've got Vinny on your side and he's telling you where to eat it. Only eat it square, <laughs> not uh, 1,317 at 59.9 and 1,391 1, at 81. You know, there's some, there's some, some scores there, you know, you're getting tons regular away and then you came back and prod three years later for Cone against Burnley in 179 out, which was a league record. First of all, I'm sure other people have got the old question. You know, they're phenomenal figures. You know, in your bowling, you didn't get the wickets that you probably, or that I think your figures deserve. You were very good at coming on. You had that daft cheeky bouncer that you'd try and bowl when <laughs> Chippy weren't ready and, and that you're trying to eat Chippy on the chin more than at the batter. But those figures, how did you find it playing? in the league around that time. Did you find it really easy? Because it looked easy. Or was it something that, you know, you you were just cool and you just took people apart? Um, I, I would say league cricket to me was, um, and I'm not saying this just because I'm on here, and I'd tell anyone that I would love to have played a lot more league cricket. I, I loved league cricket. I think it was, um, it was something really special. I, I, it had a, just an aura about it for me. It was um, when I retired from first-class cricket, I was I was ready to retire. I was probably going to get retired anyway, but um, I always thought I had a lot more league cricket left in me. I, I didn't want to play a lot more cricket in Australia. It's way too hot and too hard, but I, I loved league cricket a lot. And um, I wouldn't say it ever came easy. I, I, I definitely felt more, more pressure as a league pro than I ever felt as a first-class cricketer because of that okay. expectation. Right. Um, yeah. But it was, it, was a good, it was a good level of pressure. It was, you know, I didn't lie awake at night thinking about it but I, I you, you knew as a league pro that you had to perform and if you missed out then there's a fair chance your team was going to have to play well yeah. to win um, that's just yeah, and everyone knows that um, so I, I like that um, and I like uh, I just love the atmosphere I love the fact that it's the, the centre of the hub for the town and you know people love turning up to league cricket and having a pint and, you know a pie or whatever it is, and you know, afterwards you sit around and talk to your players, you talk to the punters, whatever. So, yeah, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I ever found it easy, but I loved it. I loved every minute yeah. of it. And um, if there's anything I regret that I didn't get to play a couple more years of it, right? And you would have continued to get those runs, I'm sure you would. The way you set yourself up and and you knew, um. You know, the new, you knew the style. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass now, but it, it would be, in the, the way the league is at the moment, if you had a 27-year-old Matthew Mott playing in it, that you know, they would, whoever you played for. And I'm not decrying the pros that are playing now at all, you know, because there's some fantastic bowlers, better bowlers than you would have been, you, than you, you were, but you would have just manufactured the games around and, and done it. So that that's interesting to hear that, Motte. So I'm going to move on now to how you started to develop into a coach and you thought, well, you know, this is for me. You always thought a lot about the game. But before we do that, just quickly go around, go around the room. Matt, anything you want to just chat about before or, or clarify before we move on to Motti's coaching career? Just just three quick points. There's one, he got all their runs at Ronstall, Jez, because he's to nick it to Gully and not get given out. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then come in dressing room and say, I were nowhere near it, Jez. Uh, that big, that big stupid grin on his face. Um, well, there was that. There was the other one. I, I don't know if I told it last time you were on, but you mentioned your Canadian girlfriend, and I, I don't remember the time you lived just around the corner from where where I lived uh, in, in Burnley. And this one, I had a, 
a mate, good friend of mine was lodging with me at the time, uh, like old John Allen, he's a proper character, proper character, Doesn't, never played cricket, not into it at all. And we were getting ready to go out somewhere and he just got his jeans on. He's, he's, he's very slight, nothing there, but a little bit of a belly on. I know. <laughs> what, what would she call that? The girl, that girl from Canada, Krista. That's it. She wants to, you, you. You must be going out. You'd no iron board or iron. <laughs> so she walked down the road. It was literally five eight, five houses away. So she walked down the road, and there's a knock on door. And Elvis said, he opened the door, he's got his jeans on, his shoes, and his little belly just hanging over his belt. He said, and I stood there, I said, and this is this absolutely gorgeous blonde stood at the door. He said, so I breathed in, and so she couldn't see the little pot belly. He said, I, he's matting. He's like, what do you want with Matt? With <laughs> <laughs> his Canadian accent, he said, oh, uh, Matthew, Matthew just wants to buy the iron or, or the iron board. So... So the that tail, and he said he was speaking with a really high voice because they were breathing in to pull his little pot belly. <laughs> um, so, so that that was another classic tale. Uh, and the other one, I, I just want to ask you whatever happened. Can you remember in that year, uh, the, a guy at Aslinden called Amish Antonet, West Indian pro? <laughs> Can you remember him, Motty, or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm I right, I think he got done for selling the club card, didn't he? Did you not buy it off him? No. I did not, no, 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 I didn't know that story. Yeah, he, he got, he, allegedly, he got done because he sold the club's pro car. Didn't he get pulled in Tesco's as well for switching um, like a can of, a price tag, tag for a can of spam and putting it on a, a big beef yeah. joint for some excuse yeah. a lot. 49 yeah, people, yeah. big joint, yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. What happened there, Martin? We, we when we were going through the scorecards, me and Matt, we barely laughing in this hotel room because we've seen these different names. You know, there was McGarrell, weren't there at church? There's yeah. a great story yeah. about him that's been relayed on this podcast. And then we started laughing about that car that I mean, the lad didn't understand clearly that it, you know, he thought the car was his and he sold it midway through the season. So we've hatched this plan. <laughs> Why don't we suggest that Motty bought it? Um <laughs> <laughs> We're clearly for all you listeners. Motti definitely didn't buy the stolen car. That is, uh... I didn't buy it. I, didn't. I, couldn't, <laughs> no. I wouldn't have been able to afford it. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for bringing those points up. Yeah, it was uh, some good memories. Joe Martin, you're only four. Anything you want to just throw in about the Lanks League before we move on? No, no. I'm just surprised that I made a good point earlier. Well done, Joe. Gav? Well done, Joe. No, I'm ready, ready to move on and talk about coaching. Gary? Yeah, ditto, Jez, ditto. Okay. So, Motta, you've, I think your first, your last first class game, would that have been in 2005 ish, 2006? Oh, just before that. I think it was 2004, maybe. Oh, right. Okay. I actually played for Holland Holland after that, which might be. Of course, yeah. First class, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. Good luck that, and yeah. good management. Yeah. So, so you're looking at, you know, that early 2000s. When did you. And it's it's almost like a football, like what people ask football coaches. Did you think when you were starting at Queensland or in, in Victoria or any of your league cricket or getting your, your big runs at Victoria, I want to stop in cricket for the rest of my life and become an established coach? Or did it just manifest itself naturally? Um, I always thought I would be in uh, coaching somewhere. Like I, I my my plan, my brother was a, phys ed teacher and I studied teaching um, after trying a couple of different things and I always thought that I maybe my job would be in a private school somewhere in Queensland um, but I always had a, an idea on coaching. I did my level one coaching I think when I was 16. I did my level two when I was 21 at the Cricket Academy and then you know, so I always had an idea that that would definitely be a, a possibility down the track. I didn't ever think that I'd be a full-time coach like I am now, but I was winding up my cricket for Victoria. I was definitely um, probably at the back end of my career and thinking about what was next. And I was probably thinking I'd return back to Queensland and maybe look for a development officers type role. And a guy that uh, coached me when I was 19, Dave Gilbert, who coached over here at Mm -hmm. Surrey um, and was the CEO of Cricket New South Wales, rang me out of the blue. It was literally on... The end of season drink. I was about seven deep, um, you know, enjoying enjoying the end of season sort of frivolity. And he, he asked me if I'd be interested in a role as the 
second 11 coach for New South Wales um, and playing role. And for me, that was just like, I, could, I couldn't believe my luck. Like, seriously, you want me to sign on as a player and then I get a step into coaching? So I, I literally said to him there and then, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be there tomorrow. Like, let, yeah. let me know what the details are. And didn't think anything about what it looked like, or whatever. It was just like, what an opportunity. Um, and as it turned out, I told Victoria, who I was still playing for, that I was going to do that. And they essentially offered me the same role for Victoria. But I, you know, I, I thought New South Wales offered me first and it would have been hard to probably coach the guys that I'd just finished playing with. So I went to New South Wales under Trevor Bayliss, who was the coach there, who ended up coaching England. Um, he didn't know me from Barra Soap. He actually wanted a fast bowling coach as assistant. So I was almost forced on him. And, uh, you know, for a long time, I thought he, he didn't really like me either because I was I was forced on him. But um, we became really good mates and um, it was the best move I've ever made. I, I sort of jumped the queue probably three or four years ahead of some of my contemporaries. And, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was literally – I did a year of that as player coach. It was the hardest role I've ever done because – all I'd ever done was sort of look after myself in preparation, but I had to sort of coach everyone. And I didn't play that well under those circumstances. And I knew it was, was time. And um, yeah, as it, as it turned out, Cricket the cricket Australia brought in a rule where you had to have a certain amount of players under a certain age. So I was able to seamlessly move out of that role. But it, yeah, was, it was a big move for me. Motte, can so, I just, uh, sorry, Dad. Just, just quickly there, sorry, Motte. When, when you got that opportunity at New South Wales, what... Is the level, like say, the level one and level two coaching the same as is over here, where you go up to one, two, three, four, and five? But what what level of coaching would you have passed at, at that stage? It's it's a bit different, Matt. It's um, I actually spoke about this the other day over here. Is uh, to me, uh, probably one level one, two, and three in Australia is it's a bit um, almost too easy in in certain ways, and I think somewhere in between the English systems almost. A little bit too hard to obtain. So level four over here is is almost like obtaining a, a degree. Um, and so my my personal opinion is somewhere in between the two is is a, is the right balance. I think um, you know in in Australia definitely like if you played first class cricket you can obtain level two pretty easily. Um, yeah. And level three you need to be invited to attend. But essentially everyone that attends um, passes the test. Whereas over here level level three and level four is it's almost two years of um, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much full t- full full time study. So I I think there's pros and cons for both systems. I think somewhere in the middle is about the right mix. Yeah, uh, good. Yeah, good. So I think as as, as you've alluded there, that Victoria were looking at. They're obviously something that you know that the hierarchy and other people saw, and you taken your badges you know relatively early. Again, for me, it's fascinating that you've you've worked with Bayliss like that, who's gone on to do, you know, great and fantastic things. And you will learn a lot there, I'm sure. When you say player coach, back then, was it just a coach and you coach fielding, bowling, batting, or were you, did you have a specialised subject even back then? So the, I was, like, in charge of the second 11 team. So, um, yeah. yeah, that was my main role. And uh, so I was more of a general coach. But I also then, when time permitted, was an assistant coach and, Obviously, focused more on batting and fielding. Fast yeah. bowling wasn't really my my thing, as you know, <laughs> Jess. But uh, yeah, look, it, it was it was an amazing role look, back back in the time. And um, I look back on some of the players that I was lucky enough to coach, like the you know the Steve Smiths, um, Josh Hazelwoods, Mitchell Starks, all those sort of guys come through. David Warner were well, all around that time. I started coaching at that that time, so. Ed Cowan, like it was just an incredible era of um, New South Wales cricket back then. And I was just, you know, Trevor Bayliss, obviously head coach, I was the assistant, but a lot of those young guys come through at that time. And uh, yeah, it was an incredible environment to be a part of. Very, very um, highly productive era of New South Wales cricket and obviously Australian cricket as well. And and Moxie, you know, let's let's be fair. And for you, you know, you've you 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 you've probably picked up a lot of you know what your traits, what you've got now. So you worked through that. What we're looking at there, we're going then to two thousand and what eight ish, something like that, two thousand and nine. Yeah, around that time. Yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah, and then the Glamorgan job comes along. Is that about right for you? Yep. 
Yeah, so, so there, how did that come? Well, I'd been at New South Wales cricket for seven years by that stage. Um, and the year before, I sort of got offered an opportunity with New Zealand cricket. And, you know, it was around the time my son Jai was about to be born and, and Tara, my wife, and I sort of thought really strongly about that decision. And it was probably, the you know, from a career point of view, the right time to move. But it, from a family point of view, wasn't quite that time. And then because we'd had that conversation, when when the opportunity of Glamorgan came up, we're like, yeah, this is exactly the right time for us. Young young child, um, no schooling. Let's go over and have a crack. And absolutely loved it. Um, part of the reason why, why we're here now, we had such an amazing time. We got looked after incredibly well. Uh, I enjoyed county cricket a lot. Obviously, you know, for a lot of the reasons I said about league cricket, but, you know, you've just got a heap of guys that um, just love, love the game and play it professionally and you get to travel around the whole country. And the difference probably between shield cricket and, and county cricket was that you got you could take your family wherever you wanted. Like if we wanted to, you know, go to Derby forever for whatever reason and for three or four days and stay in a nice hotel, we'd just get in the car and go. And um, we had an amazing couple of years here and it was we left with a heavy heart going back to Australia actually. We probably wanted a couple of more years but it was was the right time because Jai was starting school. Yeah. And it's I mean, I'll ask the other lads to come in and, and any questions about the county cricket and the, the circuit because it is tough. You know, the the the, the amount of cricket that the certainly ch- county championship games and and then the moving to, to the one day is how many coaching staff were on were, worked at Glamorgan when you were there? What sort of level and 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 how many were there? Uh we've probably had realistically another four coaches back in the day, and um, yeah, look it. I didn't ever think it was that that tough county cricket. I think um, no. it's actually reasonably fan, family friendly in terms of like you don't spend a lot of time away from home. Like, I think in the roles I've had with Australia, it's a bit different. Like um, with the Australian women's team, you know, you, you could go away for a month and a half at a time. Even the role that I'm in now, like you can be away from your family for periods of time. But the, the best thing that attracted me to the English white ball role was the time that you actually get to spend at home and. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, it, it, it's always an interesting balance as well. Like in Shield cricket, when I was coaching in Shield cricket, often you fly away and you come back, and you, you never really got into a routine with your family. Like you, you always felt like you were sort of dropping your bags and then getting ready to go again. Whereas I didn't feel that in county cricket. I felt like uh, at any given time, if you need to spend time with your family, particularly when your kids were younger and they weren't in school. That you could you could get that time, but it's different once kids go to school and you don't you can't upset their routine as well. Yeah, and I suppose that is, and I will sorry lads, I will come in to see what if anyone's got any questions around the the county circuit and the players who are playing now. It might be because of the the attractions of the hundred and the T Twenty and those who are good enough to get contracts at, at IPL. You know, and I'm not putting words in your mouth or but. The games I'm watching at Lancashire, and there's a lot of county cricket on its arse. We, you know, we're not managing to do this. The organisers are not doing this properly, and all the players are shattered. Yeah, you know, I find it a little bit difficult sometimes to get my head around. Yeah, you know, and I'm not suggesting they should go down the pit or anything, but it's it is a lifestyle. You're not travelling all over Australia or anything else. Has anyone else got any observations around the, the county cricket now, or when Motti was coaching at Glamorgan? Yeah, I've just got a question about. About coaching, really. So, Motti, when you were sort of like in your playing days and what have you, whether it be sort of in Australia or or wherever, um, which coaches would you say you, you took the most from um, and you learned the most from? Yeah, I, I think they all, they're all just so different. I, I don't think I ever had any two coaches that were the same. Um, Rod Marsh, an amazing influence on me when I was at the Cricket Academy. And I think, um, yeah, he, he had a huge influence on a generation of cricket. I think I think his impact on Australian cricket is is undersold enormously. I think um, anyone that went through the cricket academy under his um, sort of his reign would, would look back and go, what an amazing opportunity it was. He he looked at the game very differently. Obviously it wasn't a results driven game, the academy, because it was about development. But I remember him when, you know, test cricketers were scoring two hundred and twenty in a day and he was like, no. Nah, we're trying to score 400 and if we get out doing it, I don't care. Um, that was a revolution back then. And when you think about the Australian team 
after that, he had a huge impact on that. So he was massive. Dave Gilbert, I've already mentioned, was a, was a big influence on me in particular in terms of just giving me great belief, probably as a player, but even as a coach. Um, John Buchanan, who you know was an early coach at Queensland, just um, a lot of the man management stuff that he did. Like he, he wasn't your pure cricket coach. He wouldn't be someone that would talk about technique, but the way he he subtly managed people and you didn't realise you were being managed was was a real skill of his. So those guys were, were hugely impactful on, on me. And I've already mentioned Trevor Bayless. Uh, I went from an environment in Victoria where I think we probably overanalyzed the game to someone like him who just kept the game so simple. And he spoke when he needed to speak and his words are a premium. But every time he spoke, people took notice. So I, I think I... Yeah, I was influenced by a number of people, but those ones probably stand out. Really, thanks, Martin. Uh, Gary, John, Matt, anything before we move on to move Motti's career after Glamorgan? You all right, John? Nothing for me. So the 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 Australian lady cricket that came along, I think you know, as the the women's cricket has come has got stronger and stronger. The Australians have always dominated. Um, you know, probably I, I don't know. You, you probably have your own view, but. The, the environment, the the weather, how things develop in, in an outside world in Australia more than they do in probably most other countries. How did that opportunity come along for you, Motti? And and you know, you took it with with both hands and you were so successful in it. How did that happen? Yeah, so um literally um made a decision to come back from a Glamorgan without a without a job really. And um I'd spoken to Pat Howard who was the um, the, the general manager of cricket in Australia at the time, and you know, I spoke to him about opportunities. He said there wasn't any at the time, but he he could see some coming up. So we moved back to Queensland basically because it would you know have a dip in the toe with Queensland cricket and cricket Australia. Uh, and I picked up bits of work basically in the male and female pathway along the line. So I was doing literally anything from under thirteens boys and girls up to seventeens school sports Australia stuff. Uh, loved it. And as it kept happening, the contracts kept getting like 30 days and it got 60 days, 90 days. And then the Australian women's role came up at the same time as the Victorian men's role. Um, so I was sort of like, which way do I go? And I spoke to a few people and they said that women's cricket was definitely on the rise. It was going to be a real injection of funding and it was an opportunity for, you know, to, to make a real impact. And uh, best decision I ever made, I ended up choosing that Um as you know, Fleggs was um, was one of the people involved at the time. He spoke highly of women's cricket. And Linda Clark and Pat Howard back then convinced me there was a good opportunity. And uh, to be honest, the first couple of years was hard work. I, um, you know, we, we, we were expected to win a lot because the team had been used to winning. Um, mm. And we, we missed out on two, two World Cups and particularly the 2017 World Cup. We, we missed out in the semi-finals to India and uh, we lost a few staff over that. Like it was, it was tough times, and you know, I was probably lucky to hold on to my job at that stage. So, mm. um, to see what happened in the next, you know, four or five years after that was was pretty incredible. But a lot of people think that it was all plain sailing, but we we definitely had our tough times, and uh, yeah, to develop a lot of relationships within the team. And yeah, when I left, um, it felt like we'd achieved a lot. So, was, was that so? Sorry, Gav. Was that true? Were you close to losing your job in in that period? Yeah, definitely, mate. Yeah, I think um, yeah, we 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 lost that World Cup. Uh, yeah, people say you missed out in the semis, but we were expected to at least make the final. Um, it was a you know it's a big big shock to lose to India, albeit on the back of a, an amazing innings by one one girl, Armin Prekor, who made 170 off just over 100 balls. I think it was an incredible innings, but. Um, yeah, there was definitely some soul searching after that. A lot of, uh, as what happens with things like that, there was a lot of questions about how we're doing things. And, uh, it was probably the best thing that happened. You know, we, we had an opportunity to sort of start from ground zero and work out what we, what we we're actually going to stand for. And had we not had those times, I don't think we would have reached the peaks that we did over the last couple of years. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. So I suppose those bad times and then, and you've, and again, you know, the, 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 Powers that be have you know seen something that you've got and that you can keep continuing to do that. So you get the I think two thousand and twenty one, twenty two. You were still in that job, were you, when the England job came up? Yep, 
So, yeah, so I, I mean, you, you know, we're on a, a local cricket club podcast. You know, I, I've got a few questions I could ask that, that might be a bit awkward, and I'm sure other people on this this call have. You tell us your version of events as to how, how that came about. You know, was it a shock? Did you expect it? Were people giving you the nod? How did it come about that you get approached by, you know, the premier international cricket side in the world? Uh, so I applied for I applied for the Australian men's role. Um, whilst we're actually at the World Cup for the, for the women's team, and it it um it was always for me it was an opportunity to just uh, go through a process. I never actually thought I would get the role. I always thought that Andrew McDonald would get the role, but I thought it was a good opportunity for me to just um, show that I was open to opportunities. And then once I got in that process, I actually started to think, you know, I, I, I can do this. And I, you know, I, I was really hungry for that next opportunity. And um, when the when the role came up, I'd heard that Rob Key was going to be involved, who I'd worked with at Kent um, about 15 years ago you know, prior and, and had a reasonable rapport with and I, I, I shared a pretty similar view on the game. So when when that came up, I, I obviously sent him a text and said, look, if, if you happen to get this role, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd definitely be interested in, in having a look at it, um, not thinking too much about it. And then as it turned out, he got the role um, and he, he advised me that there was a process that, that had to take place. And as it turned out, the people that run the process uh, for the Australian job their sort of brother or sister company was an English company. They had all my details uh, and they said that they'd put me on the shortlist for the role. So um, as it transpired, it was quite apparent that Brendan McCullum was going to get the red ball role. So I geared myself towards the white ball role, um, went through four rounds of interviews and uh, yeah, ended up getting the role. And um, yeah, it was, it's actually a really good process. I got, I got to put myself across and uh, yeah, it was pretty stringent and, Enjoyed it. So there are external companies then that would interview, you know, for the Australian role and the English role. Is it, it you know, it, you, you haven't got some suits from the from the MCC with you know with the ties and the sitting with the other external companies, are there? Yeah, I think a lot of those roles are, are done like that for that reason. You know, right. to keep um, any any bias out of it. And um, like I, yeah, I, I just thought it was an amazing process. I. I had to work hard to, to get my way through. It was never at any stage to feel I was going to get the role until yeah. I was actually told I was going to get it. So, um, yeah, it was it was a good process. So, Matt, was was the process you just alluded to there, was the process that you went through uh, something to, to the, that could have involved involved the red ball game as well? Because how it came across over here was, I don't know whether I'd read it all right or followed it all right, that it was... That was the only role that was for interview, and and you got that role. But you mentioned that there was something to do with the red ball in there, but it was quite apparent that Ben McCullum was earmarked for that. So, was your name forward for that as well? No. Well, when I first applied, I I didn't know um, exactly it was going to be split up, but it became apparent that it was yeah, the roles were going to be split, which I was excited about. Like I, throughout the Australian process, I um, pushed quite hard to see if the roles were going to be split. I personally wouldn't have taken the role if it was all encompassing. I don't think that's something that would interest me in terms of family and balance and stuff like that because uh-huh. you know yeah. being away from being away from home eleven months of the year doesn't interest me. But um, once I knew that the role was split, I was definitely a lot more excited about it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. And, and it's interesting that that's how it seems. You know, a lot of them, the international cricket teams are going now. Um, they, they, they don't want that 11 months of the year. So, you know, over the last three or four years, I've watched quite a lot of international cricket, certainly test matches. And, I, and I've got to say, I, and Rob Key, I think it's fantastic. And the way you've described it there, I thought it was all down to Rob Key picking you, Brendan McCullen, you know, doing what he's done with Ben Stokes. And it was all down to Rob Key's magic. But obviously there's a process that goes behind that, which has to be transparent and, 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 and has to be done right. How... And it's a million dollar question. This, and they'll let other people come in. How could we, an English? Let's look at the test side. Look so downtrodden, downbeaten, negative, not wanting to chase totals with Chris Silverwood, who so much time for, and he, he's done so well in county cricket and the coaching. And, and Joe, how was it? Cheer? How can it, it, it's got to be a mindset, anti? I was 
12 months, 18 months could change the whole cricket ethos, really. How does that happen? Well, to me, there's a few factors. I think COVID was a huge part of it. I think um, definitely the, the English team, I reckon, suffered more than anyone in the COVID period. They played a lot of cricket. Um, and, you know, I know that sounds like an excuse, but it, like living in a bubble life, uh, the way they were was was bloody hard work, and mm. you know they 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 were a team that was pushed out there more than anyone probably. Um, the other the other side of it is um, once you reach rock bottom, as I said for the women's team in two thousand seventeen, when you apparently reach your rock bottom, there's an opportunity for change, and I don't think there's ever been a greater platform for for Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum to build off. They had literally, and they'll they'll admit it themselves, they had nothing to lose, like. They could try whatever they wanted and it would yeah. always be better than where the team was at because yeah. the team was at such a low low ebb for a number of reasons. Um, and they're mindful of that. They, they're they very respectful of... I, I think back to Chris Silver and I've chatted to him. I saw him in Australia and I I, I just I have complete empathy for what he was yeah. taking on. You know, you know the, the COVID, he was a chairman of selectors. He was coach of both teams, which to me is... It's so hard to comprehend. I just, mm. you know, I, I think of how much, how busy my mind is at the moment, how busy Brendan's is, and the fact that you have to combine those two. It's the English team plays more cricket than anyone else in the world. Like it's, um, so all those factors inspired to where the team was at, and they had an opportunity for change. And um, yeah, they they've used it incredibly well. But I don't think that you should ever look back on the other stuff as being negative. It was a, it was actually a platform mm. to to sort of build off and uh, and I know the players within there are very respectful of that as well. Yeah, and it and it must be difficult for them, doesn't it? And I'm sure behind closed doors and it will never come out in people's autobiographies that, you know, the jewelry was absolutely rubbish at what he did. And Silverwood couldn't, you know, couldn't hold a candle to McCullum. It's all the circumstances that happened and, and things have have gone so well. Certainly the, the, the test cricket in the way it's just completely changed test cricket. Um, and you know the one, the white ball. You you winning the World Cup. Anyone else got any views on that before we go on to the World Cup and the white ball that Moss has been doing? I, just, I was just, just sorry, oh, Matthew. No, you you go, Joe. Go on. I, I was just going to say your record with Australia women was incredible. Um, the data and stats behind and your kind of win percentages are magnificent. How and obviously you've had success with the England team now. What is the kind of what are the differences or what are the challenges um, between coaching uh, the women on the women's game and 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 the men's the men's game? Yeah, I definitely think the biggest challenge for us now as a men's team is um, in the Australian women's team. We always had the, the best choice, the best pick of every team, so we could always pick our best eleven regardless. Um, what what's apparent now over the next couple of years, the way the the formats are and the way the crossover is that in bilateral series in particular, we're never going to get our best eleven out on the park. Um, that's just the fact. So the, the the you know the win you talk about the win percentage, the win percentage for the women's was always completely transparent in terms of if you have your best team, you should be expected to win. Mm. Over the next two to three years, we will often not pick our best eleven. So those stats in between World Cups, I think, um, you know, I'm just managing expectations a little bit here, but it's going to be less likely that we're going to win a high percentage of games because we're never going to get to pick our best team. And that's where somewhere like Rob Key has been absolutely amazing in terms of managing those internal expectations around that. I think it's really important that we do that. Um, you know, we're going to go into World Cups with our best 15 or our best 11, but in between... I reckon it'll be very rarely that we get to pick our best eleven. So that's the biggest biggest thing for me. Um, in terms of you know, the age old question about coaching females and males, uh, I think it's like a school teacher. Like you know, what what's easier coaching or teaching males or females? You teach the individual. You find out a way to you know unlock their potential. Um, you know, collaboratively work together and work out the best way forward, and that's what it is. Um, it's I don't think it's ever male, female. I think it's also generational. I think um, today's generation want to be coached very differently to our generation. Um, certainly, they want to be. They want things explained in a lot more detail. They want to understand the why a lot more. Um, and so, you need to take time to 
to speak to them on an individual level and work out what the best plan is for them and for you as a coach. Excellent. Matt, just uh, my question was when you're going back to um, how it has changed and, and, and maybe on where, where, where the test side have come from. Was that was that something you said that they almost admitted that they, 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 they could elude whatever they were trying to do would be better than what, what's just gone gone forward? Was that would that have been something that McCullum would have gone into his interview process to talk about, or and said, "This is how I will approach it. This is what I want to do." I don't know if you call it the basketball or whatever. He, what he's done, and I know people might say some of it might be good timing, a little bit fortunate. It's come off when it's come off, but he's got a, he's, he's had a, a proper strategy of that. We're not playing just test cricket like we used to. Would it, would he have sold himself to, to that interview process with with that in mind? You think? Absolutely, mate. I reckon um, the, the genius in the decision there, I think a lot of people would have thought he would have gravitated more towards the white ball role. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think people under, underestimate, underestimate his passion for red ball cricket. You know, like he's got a triple century in test cricket. He's a, he's a cricket fanatic. And right. what, what, he did, what he did for New Zealand cricket was he took a team that was basically a pretty mediocre team and took them to, you know, one of the best teams in the world. And he did that through basically a cultural recharge. And I think, you know, having spoken to Rob Key and he, you know, like he keeps his cards pretty close to his chest, but what he wanted was someone who would just completely come in and change things up, you know, for good, for bad, whatever, but do something very differently and try and you know, make a statement in terms of test cricket. And I think that's when you look at it, you know, in you know, rewind all things back. It's, it, it was incredibly brave decision to get him in in that role. Like yeah, he, yeah. he probably didn't have the culture, uh, like the sort of coaching pedigree in terms of international, but his captaincy and the way he he affected uh, cultural change in New Zealand was something that uh, they certainly looked for, and, and it's, it's it's what it's turned out to be. He's, he's come in, he's empowered his captain to be really bold, make big decisions. Um, you know, his back yeah. players like someone like Zach Zach Crawley is a great example of a guy who um, clearly has got amazing talent. It didn't have the initial results, but I think in the past England England cricket may have dealt him a harsher card and, and maybe taken yeah. him out beforehand. But yeah. you're just mm-hmm. starting to see you know backing those players you know, to come good that you think they're good enough and that mindset of you know you can make mistakes, but if you're trying to be better every day, then I'm going to keep packing in. And I think that that's what Brendan does really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you can't ask for any more, can you, than just, just to try try and make yourself better and, and and express yourself there. That was interesting what you said, Motti. And he's, you know, I listened to the Test Match special and I watch it on TV, etc. When you mentioned about, you know, you don't always have your best 11 available and the Test side are going to have players that are coming in and, and going out and they might, you know, the big, after they've done so well in Pakistan, you know, broke all records going, most of the English, traditional English commentators were more interested in talking about how you're going to squeeze Johnny Bairstow back in. And I, you will have seen the interview and McCullen straight afterwards said, why are we talking about this now? You know, if he'll get back in and someone else, you know, might get rested and it. That is a culture that I don't think just English cricket fans, but all cricket fans, will struggle to to get their head round. But that's what McCullum's been brought in for, I think, to to do that. Do you? I mean, do you get the same grief of players are saying, "Well, I did so well previously for this," and and it's like in football, we're arresting you because there's such a big format. Does that happen at the international circuit? Yeah, it does definitely. Like, there's competition for spots all the time, and you know, I just spoke at a sort of coaches seminar at Loughborough the other day and you know, part of the beauty of you know, what I just said about um, you know, not always get our best 11 is that we also then get to look at the next rung of talent yes. Um, yes. and it's yes. really important that we get to do that. I think there's, there's so many teams that stagnate because the teams don't change and you know, that's something that's really positive about the environment that we've got now is that you know, our, our 23rd best player is still a bloody good player Um and we need to look at them. So, you know, by missing them for, you know, a series here and a series there, I just look at positives the whole way through. We, we get a really good look at the next rung of talent leading into World Cups. There's a World Cup event every year uh, for the next decade. 
um, whether yeah, it be World yeah. Cup, ODI, T20 or yeah. Champions Trophy. So the more that we can look at, you know, those players, oh, I just see it's a huge benefit. Yeah, we, we, without a doubt. And, it, and I suppose it's for us as spectators and certainly the older spectators and, and maybe the, the people who commentate on it to understand that. And it's not just a case of why they're bringing this individual in. And, you know, and it is, you can go back to Jimmy Anderson and, and Stuart Broad. They want to play every game. But, you know, they, they're walking wounded. They, they're, you know, they, they're aching and it, it needs that, you know, that, you know, like I said in football, people do need to rest. As I mean, that's so interesting for me, lads. Has anyone else got anything, yeah. you know, just to it's, mention to Marty? Go on, Gav. Yeah, I'm just thinking, just what you were saying there about, uh, Marty, about, the, you know, the test side and, you know, they did it rock bottom and the only way to go up and that's all well and good. But for yourself, though, uh, Marty, you... You were joining the, the white ball side where England had had some recent success in recent years. So you were joining, you, you were, you know, going to lead successful sides. So that's quite a different remit to what, you know, McCullum had and what have you. So, you know, how did you feel about that? You know, were you thinking, Crash, you know, I'm under a different type of pressure here in, in order to keep it going? Or how did you approach that? Yeah, I, I think, um, I, I think my experience with the Australian women's team set me up pretty well for this because. You know, I inherited a, a strong team back then and the expectation was to win straight away as well. But, um, you know, I've coached different teams that I've coached, you know, you know, Glamorgan were probably at the bottom of the rung at, at that time. And, um, you know, I coached New South Wales, but they were very similar sort of thing. Expectation was high. And I would guarantee 100% of the time, if you've got talented players as a coach, that's where you want to coach. So regardless of what's gone before you or, you know, whatever, um, you look at the playing list and, you know, you, you've got a chance if you've got talented players. And, you know, I did my research on the Australian, oh, sorry, on the English team as well. And I I just knew there was a lot of talent there. Like everyone that, in Australia that I'd spoken to is like, there's some serious cricketers in England not playing. Uh, and that's always a good thing. So for me, um, yeah, look, you, you go, we went through that journey with a, you know, the first couple of months was in the role and we had mixed results, whatever. I still knew deep down that if we got our stuff together, um, we we're going to be a force in the World Cup. So that's a lot easier brief than having a team that's not got no talent and you've got to try and like yeah. drag them up to something that they're not. And there's equal pleasure in that, don't get me wrong. If you've got a team that uh, the bar is quite low and you drag them up a bit, you get equal pleasure out of that. But in terms of perception from outside... Um, if you're going to be judged on your results, talent is a big thing to have. You know, like yeah. if you've got a talented group of players, they're going to make every coach look a lot better. <laughs> Without a doubt. And I, I also then think you go on to your egos as well. And if you've got that mindset that, that you've got and, and McCullum's got, you, the egos tend to spread themselves out a little bit. And it's crikey, we're becoming a team again as opposed to individuals. You know, it's, we've been going for two hours here, Moss. I could carry on forever. But is, uh, is it, Gary, is there anything that, that you want to just bring up with Motta before we start winding it up in the next 10, 15? Yeah, similar similar thread in, in some respects. But I, I view, what's your view of making it sustainable? I mean, we've enjoyed the last two or three years at white ball cricket and obviously recent 12 months of, of red ball again. And so, you know, the lads have all touched on the, the different outlook and and. The approach to it is it's fantastic. How do, how do you make it sustainable at, at a white ball level? The, the figureheads of coach and captain have, have got some input, and particularly in, in test match side, obviously the pathways are quite established through county cricket and uh, under-19s or, or A-sides and not having tours and things like that where you're really lining people up for a test career. How does that manifest itself in a white ball cricket where it's, it's very who's hot um, at the moment and they can go around playing franchise cricket? But I, 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 how does that translate into your your opinion of making England's white ball team sustainably winners? Yeah, I was, Gaz was actually part of my pitch um, when I went for the job is that you know, I, I think the, the perception is a very good cricket team, the white ball cricket team, but and it sounds a bit like a cliche, but that journey from being very good to being great. Um, and, and to me, that's about um, a single-minded attitude to being get it, getting better every day. Like re regardless of what you've already achieved is what are you going to do tomorrow to actually be better at what you've done? And you know, what have you learned from yesterday, even though you've won? And I think my 
time in the Australian women's team um, was was part of that. I think, as I said, the team was always successful. But when we went on that run of winning, you know, I think it was it was twenty eight or twenty nine games in a row. It wasn't about you know attaining that that as such, but it was about okay, what are, what are we going to do tomorrow that we didn't do today, and how how are we going to get better? And if I think it, that to me is that mindset. It's like not looking too far ahead about you know, creating any sort of dynasty or whatever. It's like, what do we do well today? What can we take from that? And what can we get better at? And as long as you keep doing that from day to day and you don't look too far ahead, I think that that, that actually looks after what you've just talked about. I don't think you need to make too many grandiose statements about we're going to be this and we're going to be that. It's like if we live, we looked at today, what we what we did really well, and I think it's really important in any team that you you spend a lot more time on what you did well. I think a lot of teams always nitpick on what they didn't do well, but spend a lot of time on what you did well, and then spend a bit of time on what you could do a little bit better, and let's take that into tomorrow, and then let's do that again, and let's keep doing that. Um, I hate that statement, but it's part of what you need to think about. It's never being truly satisfied with what you've achieved. Um, you're always, you're always aspiring for something a little bit more as well, but also celebrating when you have done well. Sure. I was, I, was, I suppose the point might have been more about um, looking through who's coming through, not who's in the group of 23 at the moment and who's established, sort of semi-established on the, on the edge of it. It's really, you know, how, how, how do you, so can you, is it possible to take somebody at 10, 11, 12 and think they're going to be a fantastic you know, white ball cricketer, whereas at the moment those age groups and pathways are really focused, I would imagine, more on three-day, uh, sorry, four-day, five-day cricket as an end goal. Yeah, once again, really good point. I, I do think that, um, you know, I, I've coached my own son a little bit. I hate the word coaching because I just want to throw balls to him and let it, his coaches coach him. But I think there's a really important thing about pathways that you, you we really need to make sure that basics are there. And for me, the basics are, as we mentioned earlier, about preserving your wicket as well. Um, I think because once you can preserve your wicket, you can develop everything else around that. I think it's, you know, like I think we need to teach batters in particular a good bat flow and hit the ball and you know, be prepared to take risks. But essentially, they need to be able to protect their wicket as well. And I think that stands you in good stead for any format that you play in. Uh, for bowlers, let's encourage them to bowl fast. But, you know, like work on their accuracy as well. Spinners spin the ball hard because you can teach control later. So all those basics are still really important. So in the pathways, I'd love to see you know, coaches. Uh, and I look back on my own journey as well, and I, I think there's times where, and I don't blame the coaches, but they probably taught more of a conservative way. And I think the way forward now is to is to push players to push their own boundaries and then pull them back rather than the other way. Yeah, Does that answer yeah. your question? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't that... That's such a different concept from what, what you know what's gone on for for so many years before, and you can see it in the in the cricket, and it's so entertaining, it, it's so watchable. Go on, Matt. I was just going to say, and, and Joe Martin, just help me and jump in here. I've I've, I've always tried to at, at Law House. I've kept in the seconds for the last three or four years, but just just last year for the first time, I've got involved in. Stan asked me to come and help with regards to um, junior cricket and. I've never been one that I would have liked to go in and teach under sixes and that kind of age where you haven't got any idea of the concept of cricket, but I always thought that I would enjoy and be artist speaking to the lads who are 11, 13, who have played a bit of cricket and just won a few things. Out. But when I've gone into the to the Wednesday nights at Law House, the, the difference from when we were coached, maybe not by as many coaches or as qualified people, is absolutely amazing. You've even got Stan, who, all joking apart, when we played cricket with him, was quite negative, defensive almost. He, the way he coaches people and the way he gets people across now is so, so different, so refreshing to how it probably would have been in our time. And I don't know what, what you think, Joe, what Matt's just said there about letting people express themselves and pull them back. I think we do that really, really well down there on a Wednesday night, don't we? Yeah, I think um yeah, I think so. Uh one of the important things that we're trying to do at the club is make sure that the kind of messaging to the young players is consistent across the board. So then they've got the kind of fundamental technique and the fundamental skills to play. Um but then 
with those skills, can they then go and express themselves and and when the batting ultimately score runs and when the bowling, can they use those skills to take wickets? So I think the kind of looking at the real intricacies of specific technique and that kind of thing, there is a, a place for it. But I think if you can get those skills first and then ingrain them and then, you know, let them explore the game, I think that's that's the kind of direction that we're trying to go at the minute. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think just, and obviously we were doing the coaching before the, the World Cup in Matty, but it was in the middle of some of the fantastic test match cricket we watched and to see some of the, the young 11, 12, 13 year old kids play some of the shots that they were attempting to play, if a 25 year old Matt Open had done that in a Stan Eaton side, he'd have gone absolutely ballistic. But it, it, that all comes from what they watch on TV, I stalked it, I root it, and all that. And Stan just just seems to like, just let, just let them do it. Let them do it. Just let them express themselves and let them be like the people that like looking on telly. Whereas before, it'd have been back, back together, don't get out. And it's just great to see how, at our level, you know what I mean, junior, like local cricket club, junior level, how they're allowed to do what they see the, the guys doing on TV. And it, it, I, I was, that, that really took me by surprise, that joke, when I went there. Mm. Really did take me by surprise how they were how they just allowed to express themselves. Of course, they get taught the basics. Of course, they get taught if they're constantly doing that and getting out or doing it wrong or whatever. Of course, they get reined in. But just to allow them to go and do it, it's just so refreshing. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it, for that, Matt, the, the main point for me, though, is um, all that stuff is the icing on the cake, not the base. And I think that, you know, the best players use all those shots uh, as a real point of difference, but they still have the base, the fundamentals. And, and if I look at, um, you know, if I, if I look back on, if I, if I employed the reverse sweep when I played, I would have been a very different player. Like, you know, back in when we played, it was, it was considered a cheeky shot, an arrogant shot or whatever. To me as a left-hander now, um, it, it would form the basis of how I played off-spin bowling. You know, I would, I would you know, you basically... As a as a left hander against off spin bowling, you've you've changed the whole dynamic of something that was threatening to something that is a strength. All of a sudden, the, you turn a ball that was turning away from the outside edge into a basically a free sweep shot, and I have to employ a different fielder. So it's like it has changed the game, and um, you know, there's so many players that you know got nailed for it back in our day because it was yeah you got out to it, you looked arrogant or you looked stupid. Now it's a genuine shot. It's 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 as good as a cover drive against um, you know an off-spin bowler because it's very low risk and it's a great reward. The yeah. game's changed a lot. Yeah, yeah, but no, you're right. You're still having having the basics and the fundamentals, but not yeah. not holding them back like you said, letting them express themselves. And if they get too far, then just rein them a little bit. But yeah, yeah, you, you've got to have the base, and that's what I found, and that's why I was involved at that age group because they have now got the foundations and the basics. Um, uh, I, I, I would have, have not qualified it before, good enough to do it like Joe Martin does with his six and seven year olds. But the rest of it, I, I think it's just great to see and the story of these lads and lasses all doing things that they've seen on the TV and doing it okay as well and, and not being chastised for it. Yeah. Uh, I tell you the other thing though, Matt, is it's, it's amazing how often the great players just seem to do the basics better than everyone else. Yeah, in whatever sport it is. But the, the, the greatest players don't seem to need to do all that other stuff as much because their basics are so sound. So, mm. um, you know, I think for the for the average player, it probably has a bigger impact. For the great players, they just seem to do those basics so much better than everyone else. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I suppose they practice it a lot, Matt. You know, the you know the likes of Josh Butler's and all these are so quick hands. They, they, you know, he, they'll know the percentages are 99.9. I'm just wondering... You know, if someone like Matt Hope trying to reverse sweep Roger Harper up Bakel, what that would have looked like, really. And I, I can't <laughs> even to think. Jez, if only I, if I knew now what it then, you can imagine I'd have took it to pieces. You'd have rolled down that hill. <laughs> I would. I'd have ended up with Roy Rosendale outside that bar. That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it is fascinating, Motty. We could go on forever, but I, you know, I appreciate. You know, we've been two and a, two and a quarter hours into this. Um, and you know you are in the UK, so you know it's not in the morning for you now. So if we just all have a little think for the next five or ten minutes, we'll we'll look to wrap it up. 
quite shortly. If I can just say to you, Motti, I really appreciate all what you did at you know, the, uh, the club in the late 90s. Um, you know, you know what David Wren did the club for the club. His wife, Judy, still listens and, and, and Andrew and Laura, and they really appreciate these sort of discussions. They will always be listening to it. And all the fans will really enjoy it. Because I, I, so I can't say thanks enough for the efforts that you put in and how easy it has for you to come on. So from me, thanks very much. Joe Martin, is there anything you thanks, want to uh, just just finish up with whilst uh, whilst we've still got Motti on and it's done become four episodes? Oh, I'm muted, sorry. Um, this, no, this has been amazing. Really fantastic because we've got a kind of perspective from playing side, but also the coaching side that I think is often can be missed sometimes, certainly at amateur cricket. So to get that perspective has been incredible. So yeah. I really appreciate you spending the time. Yeah. So amazing. Cheers, And you just want to, uh, your last minute or two on? Yeah, sorry, Gav, do you want to just do your... No, I just, uh, I just want to echo what's been said, really, Matty. Uh, thanks for making the time and effort to come on. It's um, It's been a really, you know, a great insight. Um, and obviously, everything that you've got on at the moment. So thanks for making uh, time for us. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks, Gav. And, mate, the comment you said about remembering everyone's name made my night because I I think that's one of my greatest weaknesses. But um, I'm glad that I was I was pretty good back in the day, mate. But um, love love the club. Um, it was a very enjoyable time, mate. And I've enjoyed tonight as well. Thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic. Gary, uh, I'll come to you last. But, Matt, if you could just, when Matt was laid up in his, uh, in his hospital bed, like a five-star hotel, he, he he commented about coming over as I, I can't remember how old you would have been, Matt Hope, uh, and Motti very kindly put put Matt up for a, at least a, ten days or so. And Matt, you, he, he brought photos back of watching you. Was that Queensland was it, Matt? You went to no Victoria. Oh, it Victoria. Was a- <laughs> there was only Matt sat on the grass watching, you know, a, a state game with about I don't know. 24 uh, beers all around him and no one else was watching. Have you any little stories about that, Matt? Any, what are your memories around that? Yeah, some absolute brilliant update. So, was that in 1999? It was the year after. So, it would have been the Christmas of 98. So, I will have been 27. Well, that old, did not it? Well, that old. Yeah, I must have been. Yeah, so I'd have been 20. No, I weren't. <laughs> I thought I was younger. Though. Anyway, don't mind. I, I, was, I was early mid 20s. Um, <laughs> There, was, there, was, there were some great, great stories. There was one where Motti was fielding and, it, and the, Adam Gilchrist was playing. We were playing Western Australia, if I remember Joe Angel were playing, Gilchrist were playing, Ian Harvey was in your side, I think. Uh, Darren Berry was in, you remember that that name? And I was sat on this deck chair and I had them cans. They were 24 days, but they were only little stubbies. Um, and I had no hat oh, that's on. that's all right. Yeah, and I had no hat on. Right, red. Motti, they've got a wicket. And he run over from the middle of MCD and said, get your fucking hat on, will you? And you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 there was that one. And then um, the, the, the last one was when the, it was, it was must have been the last game of the season because you all went out at night, Motty. I don't really remember. And Channel 9, had you just won it or qualified for the final or something along those lines? And Channel 9 were out and they were following them everywhere. And you've got this little burnt to a crisp ginger lad from... England out in the bar with all these lads, the likes of Motti and all the David Sacre who played at Enfield and people like that. They were all trying to get me up on being interviewed on Channel Nine with these sports presenters. I'm trying to interview Adam Gilchrist and David Sacre, Matthew Martin. There's a little burnt lad from Burnley sat it back down trying to hide. Twenty four deep. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, well, oh, yeah. Probably twenty three, twenty four deep. And then, but no, great. And again, just because of that. Obviously, I was over there. I was staying, staying with Matt. He, he, he very kindly put me up. How they were with us, with me, because of the league cricket and obviously what they what they enjoyed over there. A lot of people spoke to me who played in the league, and they were all so great. You know what I mean? There was no arrogance with them. There was no who's that dickhead sat in middle of corner with us. And I mean, they were all really, really nice and really, really friendly, and just made you feel so welcome. So no, it was brilliant. Enjoyed it. Brilliant. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Before we come back to you, Motti, to finish, and we'll we'll close this episode. Uh, Gary, anything from you for the final uh, bits of it? 
Uh, it's been a good uh, a good chance to reminisce for that season that year when you were over and also obviously hear about um, all, your, all your successes since but I think we're gradually getting through that decade in terms of knocking off uh, all those years and stuff so this was one of the highlights you know sort of to, to, to go through because I, did, I genuinely did think that uh, we've managed to pin you down given you know how busy you are etc in your schedule and stuff so well done, Jez, for uh, for managing that. It's been an absolute thrill, and uh, yeah. good to catch up with you again, Motta. No, no, cheers, cheers Gary. Good on you, mate. And, and then, so finally, from you, Motta, before we we finish here, you know, genuinely, as we talk this through now, you know, as you're aware, 2004 was our first piece of silverware, and since then, Joe Martin's been collecting them like like shells off a beach. They they're on stock. They're doing so well. A lot, you know, it's from stands, coaching. And the older parents that are involved there, we've got a great junior section now, and it will only, you know, I'm convinced it will only get better. So, a real wholehearted thanks for coming on, Motti. I guarantee the spectators and other people will listen to this to really enjoy it. So, thanks for coming on. And from you, the final words, if that's all right, please, Motti. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, first of all, well done to all you guys. I think it's an incredible effort, 100 episodes. Um, you know, to get through that and, you know, the dedication that you have to done that, to do that, sorry. Um, someone like David Wren, who's mentioned before, I remember, you know, thinking that the club, there was a chance it could have folded at one stage and yeah. it was all that yeah. stuff about the lease. Um, so the fact that the club's so strong now and so vibrant is, you know, um, something you should all be really proud of. Uh, I had an amazing time at Lower House. It's a big part of, you know, the, the people that are there, like, we don't speak all the time, but as you see tonight, it's just like it was. It was just yesterday that I played at the club. I have very fond memories, and um, I wish you all well. Uh, wish you all well in the future, and I appreciate that you had me on. Uh, we've had some. You've yeah, had some bloody good pros as well. All the blokes that you've mentioned, the Ryan Harris's and the Sean Flegler's of the world, are good mates of mine as well. So Andrew McDonald, you know, you've, it's yeah. been an incredible. Um, cohort of pros that have been at the club and um, we all wish you well and look forward to keeping in touch brilliant well, that's, all, that's all for boys club isn't it all these people we push on to greater heights it's amazing <laughs> exactly <laughs> I know that's right. but they always come back on the podcast they always come back and have a chat with us really right really now, appreciate that thanks very much everyone I really hope Good. you've enjoyed this episode don't forget subscribe like it Go on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever else you can go on. Encourage your family and friends to listen to it. And don't forget, support the club. The season will soon be here. We'll have a couple more podcasts before the season starts. So please tune in. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening.